for the first time today. We have Killian and Cam taking on youth for the very first time. So it is a good day to be a teenager today. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike and the team. Give it up for Mike and the team. I thought that was so special. Great. We'll give some time for guys to come in briefly, and I'll do a quick reset of this, and then I'll just... I can keep talking from behind you. It's amazing. Perfect. Also hiding behind you is Tadiwa, up from Falcon, waiting for university, says, how can I help? And uh, he's already on the projector, so we can't see him, but Tadiwa, well done. What a great job. Exactly. Round of applause. So, yes, definitely. Please do uh, come in, guys. Lots of beautiful space over here. Rich, your family left you. Sorry. They'll come back, I'm sure, just now. So, so good to uh, have you guys here. So we're doing something, a few things fun today. We've got seven Sunday. For those of you who are visiting for the first time, we've got three mighty men preaching for seven minutes each. It's going to be dynamite. There'll be a buzzer if they do it wrong and go over. No, not at all. Uh, but we're excited for that. And then afterwards, we're going to celebrate. Uh, it's almost Valentine's. So we thought we're family here anyway. We want to spread the love. So we're doing donuts and cappuccinos and things like that. Don't eat too much. Otherwise, you'll get proper spread. Um, but enjoy those either, either way. So first up, um, we have none other than Liam Middleton. Give it up for Liam. We're going to pray. So uh, I'll do a quick intro for those of you who don't know, but uh, Liam is probably one of the best rugby coaches in the world. That's what I would say. Um, but he chose to come back to Zimbabwe instead of pursuing coaching the All Blacks. Uh, England would have been better than that. But, uh, you know, what I love about Liam, Sarah, and the family is they're just servants. So when they first joined us at Sabre, um, yes, Liam's uh, deputy head and, um, and quite high caliber as a person, he was like, just put us to work. How can we help? What can we carry? What can we do? And I've just absolutely loved your guys' heart as a family to just serve Jesus and to just get stuck in. And so I'm going to pray for you, and I'm excited for what God has in store. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for Liam. Thank you for his heart to honor you. Thank you for their family. Um, we pray for the little one who's sick, actually, now as well. But I pray that as he speaks to us, that you would speak. That you would use him powerfully now in these moments together. That we would be impacted. That we would be changed as he talks from your word. Your name we pray. Amen. Over to you. Thanks. Good morning. So faith is one of the most prevalent words that we will hear in and around church because it's one of the central themes of Christianity. And I'd like to explore a story today which comes from the Gospels. Uh, it's, it's one of the miracles. And it gives us this great representation of faith. And we can take a number of lessons about how we can strengthen our faith from this story. So it's the, the story of the woman who touches the hem of Jesus' robe and she's healed. So one of the miracles that comes out of the Gospels. But firstly, what is faith? Just back one. Okay, good. So faith in the Oxford Dictionary 
uh, is described as complete trust in something or someone. But there's a far more colorful description which we take out of Hebrews chapter 11, which is now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's a lot you can unpack just from that verse, but that for another day. So this story, which comes out of the Gospels of both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're going to take it from Mark chapter 8, verse 43. Now there was a woman who'd been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you whole go in peace. So one of the things we can take from this amazing story is the importance of us living with an expectant faith. So this woman goes out and she seeks Jesus. She's heard before that he can heal. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. There's people around him. A crowd has gathered with him. She goes out to seek him with an expectant heart that he might be able to to heal her. And it's when we live with an expectant heart that we can see all that happens around us through the lens of faith. So we see the beauty of God's work. We see blessings. We see divine intervention. But when we don't live with an expectant faith, we don't see God's works around us. Without that expectant faith, we miss all of what God does around us. It says in the Bible, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened for you. In many cases, without an expectant faith, the door is already open and we walk past it without seeing it. So to strengthen our faith, we need to live with an expectant heart. The second thing we can take from this is on the backdrop of this amazing miracle and the healing and the uplifting healing of this woman is the adversity that she experienced for such a long time before this. And it gives us a lesson about having faith in God's plan for us. The woman's suffering lasted for 12 years. She has a blood condition and she spent all of the money that she has on physicians, which is something we would all do. We would all do in our current lives. We would spend the money we have to be healed. She spent all she has got, and they cannot cure her. At this time in history, with this particular blood condition, she would have been stigmatized in society. She would have been isolated, and in some instances, isolated from her own family. She would have found it difficult to find work, and to sustain herself. So there's been a lot of suffering for this woman. But she presses in through the crowds, through these people 
who shun her on a daily basis just to touch the hem of his cloth. That's her expectant faith. But we learn from this adversity the importance of keeping our eyes and our faith on God's plan for our lives. Pastor Charles Stanley says, oftentimes God demonstrates his faithfulness in adversity by providing for us what we need to survive. He does not change our painful circumstances. He sustains us through them. Now we know that sometimes our prayers are answered immediately. There's an immediate divine intervention. And there's just as many times where our prayers go unanswered for anything up to a lifetime. It's in those moments that we need to keep our faith in God's plan for our lives. In Psalm 33, it says, the, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. So your faith can be strengthened if you can keep your eyes on God's plan. And the last bit of this uh, amazing miracle, which is the, the best part of this story, is, and what we take from it, is the importance of putting your faith to work. So in this situation, Jesus says, who touched me? And you can imagine this, in these narrow streets, these cobbled streets, dusty, he's on his way to Jairus' house, there's crowds around him, and he says, who touched me? The people around him are baffled by what he has to say. But he says, and Peter says to him, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed the power had gone out from me. What that does is, is give us this amazing indication, or what we already know, that power comes from God. In this particular instance, it comes from Jesus, through Jesus, from God. He has the power. And as these people mill around him, push around him, get close to him, he feels the power go out from him. Not the touching of the hem of his cloth, but the power comes out of him. And then in the next instance, the woman reveals her healing to everyone there. And Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. So we've got two things coming together here. An amazing lesson for us in our faith that can strengthen our faith. We recognize that power comes from God. Jesus recognizes that the power, the healing power, comes from him. But at the same time, he recognizes the woman's faith. And he says, daughter, your power has made you whole. So what we can learn from that is that we need to put our faith to work. This woman sought out Jesus with an expectant heart. She had had a lot of adversity. The importance of keeping faith in God's plan. And then she put her faith to work and it healed her. In James 2 it says, faith without works is dead. So wherever you are in your faith journey today, and I know we're all in a different place for all of our lives. But if you can take one of those today and use them to strengthen your faith, your faith will be stronger. My buzz is about to go. Thanks, James. Thank you.
So awesome, Leon. It doesn't feel like that was your first preach. <laughs> so you can take it from me next week. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. Already immense things that we could take from that. And so appreciate your time and your effort and just your, your rest and humility in God. Thank you. So appreciate it. Uh, next up, we have uh, Mr. Dan Carter for his second one. Give it up for DC. He's wearing jeans and shoes today, so uh, good progress for him. Uh, but Lord Jesus, thank you for Dan. Thank you that he is a man who, as we said with Liam, he just wants to honor you and he wants to serve you. Thank you for the joy that he brings to a room. Thank you that nothing is too hard for him when it comes to getting stuck into you and your kingdom. Thank you for um, the way that he lives his life, just with uh, an expectancy and a joy for what you might do. And so as he speaks today and challenges us, encourages us from your word, uh, maybe shows us some weak spots, things we need to be aware of, thank you that you're going to speak. Thank you that you can use them. Amen. 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 Thanks, Craigo. Good morning, everyone. Um, so this morning, I would like for the next seven minutes to talk to you from Psalm 51. There will be a bunch of verses up on the TV, so you're welcome to follow with me from there. But if you want to follow rather on your Bible, on your phone, you can start turning to Psalm chapter 51. But before we get there, there's a story that you'll pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 11, where it's springtime and the Israelites are in a heated battle with the Ammonites. And so what happened is King David sent out his trusted army general, Joab. Um, they were fighting over a place. I've actually forgotten the name of the place now, but that's irrelevant. doesn't matter. And what David decided to do was chill out and stay back in Jerusalem in his big safe palace. Um, there's a bunch of theories as to why he did that. Um, I've read that... Uh, some thought that David became a little bit complacent because he had just won a bunch of battles. And so this time around, he decided not to go out with his army, but rather sent Joab in his place. What happened one night was David couldn't sleep. And so he thought he would just take a walk out onto the, up on the roof, um, just go and enjoy the night sky and evening breeze. And he noticed a few buildings over, there was a woman taking a bath. And the Bible describes this woman as beautiful. And David was clearly taken aback. David immediately sent a messenger, or rather one of his guys, to go and find out about this woman. Go and find out who this woman is living a couple of buildings down. The guy came back and reported that this is Bathsheba. And she is the wife of Uriah. Now Uriah was a trusted soldier in David's army, who was now out fighting with Joab against the Ammonites. So David took this opportunity, summoned Bathsheba over, and slept with her. A couple of weeks down the line, maybe months, she fell pregnant, and word came back to David that Bathsheba was pregnant. Now David was in a bit of a pickle, and he was not too sure what to do. So first thing he did was he sent word out to Joab, please send the soldier Uriah 
back to the palace, back to me. And so David took the chance to get to know Uriah. How are you doing? How's it all going that side? Is Joab doing a good job? How's the battle going? And he could just sense that Uriah was such a, a faithful, trusted soldier in his army doing the right things. And so David came up with a plan. Uriah, you're clearly tired. You're weary. I think you deserve a good meal. Come with me, dine with me, and then go back home and go and spend some time with your wife. You can see what he was trying to do so that he could try to hide up this pregnancy for Uriah's and not his. So they had a nice evening, sent Uriah home, only for David to get a message back that Uriah actually didn't make it home, but rather slept on the steps of the temple with a lot of the other servants. So David summoned, uh, summoned back Uriah. Uriah, what's going on? Did you want to go be with your wife? Come on, you haven't seen her in weeks. Go be with her. My Lord, how could I do that when I know that my other brothers are out there fighting my battle or our battle? I can't possibly do that. There's no ways. So David is now thinking, shucks, okay, we need to do something better here. So again, that evening brought in Uriah, had a big feast, got him absolutely drunk. Right, this, this is going to do it. This is going to seal the deal. Uriah, come on, get back home. Go be with your wife, all right? But even in that state, you can sense Uriah being the upstanding guy that he is. Still, the same thing, slept on the steps outside the temple. <laughs> so, now David really had to think. Okay, go back to the army, go back to battle. That's clearly what you want to do. But take this letter for Joab back with you. And what was in this letter was an instruction. Joab, go and put Uriah on the front lines. You see, on the front lines in battle is where it's most heated. And often, it was kind of just you know, instant death, really. Hardly anyone made it out of the front lines. And Joab did exactly that. And I'm afraid Uriah, Uriah did die um, in battle. And word came back to David. And David thought he would sort of dust his hands of that affair. Right, it's done. Only for some time to pass, a prophet Nathan, and you'll pick this up in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, the prophet Nathan, who was sent by the Lord, came and confronted David of these sins. Through sort of thrashing it out, um, no doubt David was, was broken. This was a man after God's own heart. He knew that what he had done was wrong, and he came to a point of just being completely broken and confessed. And Nathan responded, the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. But the child that will be born, your and Bathsheba's child, will die. And sure enough, it happened. After seven days, on the seventh day, um, after the child had been born, he died. Um, and then some time passed, and just for your own bit of knowledge, David and Bathsheba um, conceived again, and Solomon was born. And perhaps you might be more familiar with the story carrying on. And so, friends, I would like to raise up a challenge and perhaps and some steps to counter this, this challenge uh, this morning. No doubt in the story, 
David's sins are plenty. He covets another woman, or rather covets another man's wife. He commits adultery with her, attempts to cover up the affair through deceit, and eventually masterminds the murder of the woman's husband. Perhaps many of you today can relate to David's sin. In particular, perhaps you struggle with sexual impurity and succumb to temptations through pornography. Maybe you have struggles with anger, uh, with jealousy, drunkenness, or perhaps it's just selfish ambition. You see, sin was brought into this world through the act of one man's disobedience. That was Adam. And as a result, all who follow have sinned and rebelled and fall short of the glory of God. Sin separates us from God, and it spoils the relationship we have with Him. And the Bible is very clear that the wages of sin, that is the punishment of sin, is death. Now, not just a physical death, because that's inevitable for all of us, but rather a spiritual death, an eternal death, where we are cast out away from God and His love. But, and this is a big but, and here's some encouragement for you, which John Piper says comes from his greatest book there ever was, the Bible. Now, the greatest letter in the Bible, Romans, from the greatest chapter in Romans, chapter 8, and the best verse, which is verse 1. Therefore, Paul writes, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus, and a life by the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, who Jesus left for us in His place, a life by the Spirit has no condemnation. That means there's no punishment. That means there's no anger from God towards sin. And so, if you allow me, with the help of Psalm 51, I want to go through three steps on how we can break sin's hold over us. Psalm 51 was written by David in what may be the most deeply passionate and transparent psalm of confession. David pours out his heart to God, asking for forgiveness after Nathan the prophet had exposed his sins against Bathsheba and Uriah. And so, to break sin's hold of you and to live without condemnation... Confess. Confession. In 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And now turning to our focus text, in Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David is completely transparent. He casts himself on God's mercy from the outset and names his sins, not hiding them, not making excuses for them. To break sin's hold of you and live without condemnation, 
Secondly, surrender. In Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12, David continues to write, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I want you to imagine that you're being towed by a big truck and you're being towed by a chain. Now, how many links in that chain need to break for you to stop being towed? Just one, right? If you have just one area of rebellion, one defiant area, that is enough to cut you off from God's power so that in order that God's power breaks, sins hold of you. That is because God is our Father who must be obeyed. Surrender completely and obediently to the power of the Spirit. And I just absolutely loved the last couple of songs which Mike and the team led for us. Your goodness is running after me, we sang. Your goodness is running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now, and I give you everything. And I hope that that is true. We all sang it. It's a big step of faith, as we've just been taught, to surrender wholly and completely to God. And thirdly, to break sin's power of you, over you and to live without condemnation. Thirdly, memorize Scripture. And this is how you remind yourself of the promises of the gospel. You may remember when Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus quoted specific Scripture that addressed the temptation. Paul calls the Word of God, that is the Bible, the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6.17. That is how we will the power of the Spirit against our enemy. Trying to do battle with sin without a thorough knowledge of Scripture is like going into a sword fight without a sword. Going back to Psalm 51, verse 13. I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. David desires to teach others the lessons he has learned and to praise God. You see, as king, David has spiritual responsibilities for the nation. Perhaps you have, have similar responsibilities to care and provide for your family, to manage and run a business or a school, or to shepherd a church. Do not let sin have a hold over you where it affects your important relationships. In Psalm 51, verses 14 to 15, David continues, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You, who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. And may we have the same declaration. And so, to finish off, to break sin's hold of you and to live without condemnation, 
confess, excuse me, confess your sins first to God and then to others. Number two, surrender completely and obediently to the power of the Spirit. And thirdly, memorize Scripture and use the sword of the Spirit. And to do a, if you don't mind going back to, it was to Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12. Better ask, rather ask for forgiveness than for permission to go over seven minutes. <laughs> if you would just like to pray with me, I don't mind if you want to close your eyes or if you want to read the words on the screen. But this prayer is not going to be my words, but rather David's. From Psalm 51. Lord, would you create in us a pure heart? And would you renew a steadfast spirit within us? Do not cast us away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. But restore to us the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. Amen. Give it up for Dan. Thank you so much, Dan. Uh, we might be five minutes over when we do it. If some of the host team maybe at the back could just tell the kids' church um, to that they can, when they come out, oh, thanks, Kirsty, that when they come out, they can just go and get donuts to start but not come in. Sorry, guys. They can finish them. But they've got their own box. You're going to be fine. Uh, thanks, Dan. Thanks for speaking on tough stuff. Thank you for challenging us. And, and for anyone going through that as Dan prayed and just dealing with difficult things in our lives as we all do, uh, there's always a God who's available and people to talk to as well. So I'd love to call up Mr. Brett Berry. Uh, so give it up for Brett. Um, and uh, Nikki, you made it in here. About to pop with the baby, but you are here. In fact, that was Brett's question. When I said to him, uh, Brett, are you happy to do it? He just said, when? Because I don't want to be too close to the baby and miss it. So you got it now. So it's perfect. So thanks so much. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, Brett. Thank you for him and Nikki. Thank you for uh, this precious baby that's about to arrive. And pray for a huge uh, blessing um, over this new arrival. And in the meantime, as Brett shares, thank you for his heart for you. Thank you for his preparation. May you speak powerfully and clearly through him. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Hope Church. For the for those of you who don't know me, as Craig has just mentioned, my name is Brett Berry. I'm sorry I'm not as well-built as Dave McQuaid, or as well-spoken as Killian Mangesi, but I hope that after listening to me for these seven minutes, you will leave feeling inspired, motivated, and encouraged. The title of my preach this morning is God of the Impossible, and the scripture I'll be sharing from is God, the, the Gospel of Luke. But before I begin, I would just like to point out that at least eight times in Scripture, God says He can do anything. The first is found in Genesis 18, verse 12 to 14. There, 99-year-old Abraham was told that his 90-year-old wife was going to have a baby. Sarah laughed in disbelief at such a proposition. God responded by saying that nothing was too difficult for him. The second is found in Numbers 11, verse 23. The children of Israel were tired of eating manna while wandering in the desert. They wanted meat. Moses didn't think it was possible, given their situation. 
then God tells Moses that his power is not limited. He can do anything. Then in Job 42, verse 1 to 2, after Job's suffering, he had seen God for who he really is. Then he affirmed, I know that you can do all things. Coming to the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 1, the birth of Jesus was foretold when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. Verse 34 reads, How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. Point number one that I'd like to make. When we lack faith, God is not the one who loses out. We are. God is God. He is in heaven. He has no need for anyone or anything. We need him, his power, and for him to act on our behalf. According to the scripture, it is a lack of faith that prohibits all of these things from happening. Point number two, God could act alone, but he doesn't. In fact, there are only two times in scripture where God acted alone. Creation, which we read in Genesis 1, and redemption, when Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for our sins. All other times, God used men and women to accomplish his purpose. I'm glad the people in the Bible had enough faith to trust God's will and plans. I'm glad Noah didn't say to God, I don't do boats. Imagine if Abraham had said, I don't like babies. What if Moses had said, I don't cross seas? What would have happened if David said, I don't fight giants? I'm glad Mary didn't say, I can't do virgin births. Can you imagine if John said, I don't do baptisms? And more importantly, I'm glad Jesus didn't say, I don't do crosses. The greatest victories take place when God's people act in the faith of the sovereign Lord. Our beliefs and possibilities must be in line with the will of God. Point number three, faith in Christ allows the unseen God to invade the space of your impossibility and bring about his divine opportunity. When defeating Goliath seemed impossible, God made it possible for David. Crossing the Red Sea seemed impossible, but God made it possible for Moses and the children of Israel. When conquering a land full of enemies seemed impossible, God made it possible for Joshua. We read that in the book of Numbers. And that's how Jesus lived his life and how he taught his disciples to live. When our lives are lived in obedience to God's will, nothing is impossible. So dream big, but remember to dream biblically. When we read Luke 18, verse 24 to 27, where the rich young ruler has just decided that his wealth is more important than what has been offered by Jesus. And when Jesus saw that, he became very sorrowful. He said in verse 24, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? Verse 25. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Whatever our circumstance, obedience brings blessing.
I want to ask God in these moments to plant seeds of possibility in our hearts. I don't know what your situation is this morning. Maybe you feel you're in a storm and your ship's about to go under. My prayer is that you keep believing in God. He will deliver you. He may have to get you a new ship, but he will deliver you. Coming to a personal testimony, in February last year, my wife, Nikki, and I were given a 0.01% chance of falling pregnant. I think that was the doctor's way of saying never, without dashing our hopes of one day having a child. We were given some options, one of which was to start hormone treatment, um, to stimulate ovulation, and the other was to do IVF, which we were told would probably be the best option. We prayed about it and decided to take the hormone treatment and see if there would be a positive response. In June, a week, after the, a week into the treatment, Nikki was sent for another scan, which revealed more bad news. Her tube on the right-hand side showed adhesions, which is basically scar tissue, possibly from when she had her appendix removed as a teenager. This meant that even if ovulation occurred, the chances of an egg fertilizing in the correct place would be impossible. We were told to stop the treatment and to book an operation that would have to be done to clean up the tubes. At the same time, some ovarian drilling would be done to increase the chances of a healthy egg developing. The operation was booked for August, and several people came alongside us in prayer, and we just committed the situation to the Lord, because He knows the desires of our hearts. He knows what we need, even before we ask for it. Fast forward to the end of June, when a home pregnancy test came back positive. You can imagine the confusion, mixed emotions, and disbelief. We managed to book an appointment with a gynae, who upon examining Nikki said, if you are pregnant, we should see a... Oh, wow, there it is. A little black dot on the screen revealed we were, in fact, four weeks, six days pregnant. With a lump in my throat and a small tear in my eye, I asked, but how? Deep inside, I knew it could only be a miracle, but I was curious to hear the scientific explanation. Let me explain, said the gynae. I leant over and said to Nikki, Where's the popcorn? Because this movie is about to get interesting. <laughs> After some head scratching, some long, very awkward silences, and much confusion, the gynae said, I can't explain it. I guess you got lucky. Do we not serve a God of the impossible? A key point to take away from this is to never underestimate the power of prayer. I would not be here speaking about our miracle if, there were, if it were not for the prayers of family and friends and all their support shown along this journey. A businessman will tell you that the balance sheet is a powerful tool for analyzing the financial performance of a company. Today, I would like to emphasize that prayer is a powerful tool for analyzing your relationship with the Almighty God. Aren't our lives more than just assets and liabilities? Luke 11 talks about the Lord's Prayer, and verse 13 reads, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I would like to finish off with some points to think about. What is the impossible situation you are facing right now? What gigantic foe, like Goliath was for David? What great barrier, like the Red Sea for Moses? Or enemy are you facing that appears most impossible for you? If you are God's child, 
you need to hear the possible words of our God. With God, nothing is impossible. Without that personal relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, life will always present itself as impossible. Thank you. Thank you. So awesome. Uh, Shall we stand together just as we close? Lord Jesus, thank you for men, women uh, across Hope Church saying, I'm happy to do this for the first time. I'm happy to serve in this way for the first time. I'm happy to give up these hours this time. I'm happy to step out in faith so that we can be encouraged, blessed, enriched by you. Father, I pray for each of those different areas for us, be it learning to step out in faith and live with an expectant faith, be it knowing that you're our Father who's pure and holy, and when we mess up, we come to you, and we confess, and we, we want to get right with you, and you're there to forgive and to, to help us clean out the mess that's in our heart, and then believing in you for the impossible for knowing that you're a God who makes the, po- the impossible possible. And what a privilege we get to have a relationship with that kind of God. And so, Father, as we head out from here, as we celebrate together with coffees, with donuts, as we, we, we learn more about what it means to be a family, I thank you that you're doing a great work amongst us. May you keep doing that. We want to be open to what you would do with us individually and collectively as Hope Church. And so may you get the honor and the glory. You're worth it. We pray for a great rest of the day. Your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much, everyone. Let's uh, celebrate together. Give another round for these three mighty men. Thank you so much. And uh, we will see you all next week. Thanks a lot.